Hello and welcome to Paper Tuesdays with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin and today we have a very special guest on the podcast. It's Michael Dwyer who is a serial triathlete now. <laughs> uh, so Michael, you done your triathlon this morning. Yeah. Talk us through it then. How did it uh, you are over Yeah, actually. it was great. Um, I'm still kind of on the high of it so it's you feel so grateful after it. I don't know mm. why it's a weird sensation. I suppose it's just elated emotion or whatever. Yeah. But um. It, it was a different one because the last one was back in Christmas and I did it with Connor Mac mm. and um, yeah, like having the social encouragement was a lot easier to hold it. Like I, there was such a high after coming out of the water because you were my lifeguard today. <laughs> and then you realized, oh no, you have to cycle on your own and you have your own thoughts and you have to stay with it. Yeah. But it's just, I just, I know people are full of, um, you know the news feeds are full with you know exercise 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 but like the natural highs of life are just you know they're so worthwhile like i i th- I, I don't know about you like you get it from weights mark i get it from this type of endurance you can't quit really mm-hmm. um that sort of attitude um def- yeah attitude and character building event that like they're just so powerful so i'd highly recommend them to anyone mm. so and did you hit any walls like was there any point where you thought oh, geez maybe i might not the bike today this? was now you then you're wondering if you're making excuses but like um the bike i i may invest in a proper bike i have a mountain bike uh well it's actually my father's mountain bike and it wasn't it wasn't fit for the course today because the wind um I don't know, the cycle just was tougher, but then maybe that was because you were, I had the seawater swim, so the sea swim, and <laughs> can we, have we talked about that moment, Mark, when, <laughs> yeah. when I came out of the, came out of the ocean, Mark, and I ordered you, Mark, my calf, I think it's my calf, my calf. <laughs> but it was terrifying, from, on, on my, from my part, because, not because I thought you were in any danger or anything, it's because I sort of, so, this was about two thirds of the way through, I'd say, mm. you came out. And I was after walking. I walked alongside you while you swam, and I, it was a nice leisurely stroll. And it was it was really quiet. There was no one else on the beach, and I was wandering around, sort of looking at you, and you know, it was quiet and relaxing. And you're obviously in the sea, trashing waves. Your heart is pounding. You're under pressure, <laughs> and you come out of the sea screaming, "Mark, Mark!" <laughs> and I went, in, "What?" And you you like you had your goggles on, so you're all swollen around your face, and your eyes were all red, and you were just staring at me like, like half. <laughs> like half and I was like what and he's like I, I think I bought it I was like are you okay and he's like yeah I'm fine it was terrifying <laughs> but was, it was fun like but yeah. uh it was great to be there and to watch it it was actually it was very um I was blown away by how far you could actually swim right. I had no idea anyone could swim that far yeah. just because you know you hear people swimming this far but like I walked up and back with you and i was tired from the walk and you were swimming in the sea against the current for the first half yeah and like it was just amazing like to see that you do that and then the fact that you're going to do a 40k cycle and a 10k run after that is crazy yeah and you i know last week you were talking about like the human being or whatever and it's true when you see it in action it's fucking crazy to think that people can do that and like yeah you've done it this morning yourself you know firsthand what it's like to do that yeah it's possible it's um it's one of those events that I also like because I didn't have headphones or you connect more to the present moment and you have to remind yourself more because that's something that I've been conscious of recently that you know um maybe thinking too much in the future and not connecting with the present and like yeah. you have to to get through the 10k run you have to just focus on 
putting one foot in front of the other and that's you know this all part you, you can't you can't overthink or anything you know there's a bit of freedom in that but um no it was just funny i i, I think that calf memory will live long in the memory <laughs> because i come me for me like for from my perspective mm. what, what why was i roaring at mark like he didn't have a spare calf that he could give me you know <laughs> Uh, that was great and there's more to come then you reckon you're gonna oh yeah and i highly recommend mark calvin fitness and (laughs) because uh like it's about putting in the work every week as well and that's what i thoroughly enjoyed because that is a high point after 12 weeks of you know building up the the legs of the runs and the Mm. the cycles so um i know people can do exercise on their own but the huge difference for me is the variety and the consistency because when you get your workout one, you have to do it, and one or two, it's probably going to be a bit different. So, you know, it, it changes it up a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, there was something else. Was going, oh, yeah. So, yeah, Mark had fit this. And uh, <laughs> when I finished the triathlon, I had a bowl of porridge. Yeah. And it's my brother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Keen. Happy birthday, Keen. And we got a cake from RK Cakes and Bakes. And I had a big slice of the chocolate biscuit cake at half 11. And I didn't give a, whole, uh, a, a flagon. <laughs> yeah, still in a deficit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so but, that, that's another shout out we may give. Yeah, oh, cakes are unbelievable. I highly recommend them. Yeah something so, else yeah. my family is vlogging yeah they really uh, complement each other you know yeah, yeah 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 so follow that on instagram or k cakes and cakes and bakes and mark has a bit so now um this is a, a fitting parish of the week so the parish of the week mark is Ocka down mm. which is um in west cork and it's a parish of roars and they have listed out this is a great article altogether. It's a true sign of local journalism. Kieran McCarthy uh, from in the Southern Star has a look at how one parish has produced really an, an amazing list of roars uh, and he has all their townlands. So you have the O'Donovan brothers, of course, they're the notable ones. They're from Lachine. Then you have Teddy O'Donovan. Um, he introduced Gary and Paul to rowing and was their first coach. And then I've a, you, you can see this here, Mark, of a list as long. Mm. This is all from the one parish. Wow. And all of these people um, won uh, national titles, uh, worked as a coach. And it's just uh, so apparently this one incredible parish was a conveyor belt to Skibbereen Rowing Club. And um, and so Ockadown Parish apparently is... Uh, reinforcing the idea that came forward from a sports science professor in uh, Canada who cited a number of reasons why small towns can provide the ideal breeding ground for top-class sports people and why people born in a small town have a better chance of reaching the top of their sport compared to people from a big city. So isn't that incredible? Mm. Why does he think that? Why do you think because it's a close-knit community and they all go rowing or something together? Uh, I think yeah i'm um that's a good question i did it's a long article and i didn't uh that didn't jump out at me but i think it's the local uh camaraderie of it all uh and tradition mm. passing that flame on to the next generation um but the parish has a strong connection to the water so you know it goes into the mystical stuff as well the idea that the river is on one side and the roaring water bay on the other side and so um that's another example but I, I recommend the article. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to um, check it out there because Robbie puts it in our show notes. So um, somewhere here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, that's that's quite the story. And fair play to Ockadown, they deserve Parish of the Week, don't they? Big namaste, huge namaste, all the way to West Cork. Yeah. Namaste, namaste to James Flood, who's back is better, but he got a tooth pulled. Oh, <laughs> James is under oh constant dear. medical supervision. Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. So this is in the Enniscorthy Garden, and Dr. George Leslie is a doctor in Slaney Medical Centre, and he says, um, he says he he says people do not care about the small things as much nowadays. He thinks that people are complaining less, and he says that is a real sign of gratitude from people, and people are yeah, and he says. Um, it's time when people are beginning to take a look at their lives. I think people are reevaluating what is important and that is positive. Um, and he says that there are a number of alcohol related illnesses um, or excuse me, sorry. Um, even though the pandemic issues. Yeah, we'll apparently... be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so apparently uh, this is a bit of a contradiction I would have thought the opposite but he says that alcohol related illnesses have reduced during the pandemic mm. interesting um, I know, yeah well you can't go to the pub and there's not as much binge drinking I suppose right it's people drinking at home like you're not going to it's not the same is it like you're not going to be doing shots at home in your sitting room right getting in bar fights or yeah but I would like never have connected like uh, a string of shots on a Saturday night to a GP visit the following Tuesday. Oh yeah, really? Well, uh, alcohol poisoning, liver poisoning, things like that it happens a lot. Okay. People drink too much, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just like the idea that this GP is able to say that people are complaining less. Um. Well, I don't know. Are they? My thought here, right, is right. I've thought this before. Is that not a subjective view? Is it not the people he's looking at are complaining less? Is it not the people because he's been complaining less, he's spending time with people who complain less? And now he's just saying that's everybody. Yeah. It's two, yeah, very true. Two things from that stand out. Um, first of all, maybe they're more grateful because they think he might have a role in them getting a the vaccine. You maybe, know? yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dr. George. <laughs> I'll go back, Dr. George. <laughs> And then the second thing is maybe that's just it is subjective, but it's probably mm. subjective for us all, Mark. I read mm. somewhere recently that you know we are constantly um, making stories, and when you make stories, you leave out. Say even when I was recounting the triathlon, there mm. you leave you leave out bits of information that may have a bearing on it, but you just leave them out because you don't think you're relevant. So you're constantly mm. packaging your own experience, mm. and so. I think that's related as well. Just that, you know, by, by the nature of the human being, that um, your story is, everyone's story is going to be different. I changed my story because COVID ended for me last week. Do you remember yeah, I, you, you, I woke up to a text message from Mark to say that COVID was over. Yeah, I no, yeah. I no longer acknowledge its existence. <laughs> so congratulations, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the new world where there's no more COVID and we just forget about it. Move on with our lives. <laughs> And is, was it a point of exhaustion that drove you to this point, Mark? Yeah, yeah. It was. Right. <laughs> okay. No, no, I, I still wear a mask. I'm not an anti-masker. COVID <laughs> does exist. No, COVID did exist. No, it, <laughs> it, was, it was after spending a day in the van listening to news talk. Oh, and it's just vaccine, again. vaccine, vaccine. <laughs> and why don't we have the vaccines? And why are the vaccines bad? And next, cancer and vaccines. Just a little palate cleanser, you fucking arsehole. Jesus Christ, talk about something else. 
<laughs> okay, we will. Electric scooters, Mark. <laughs> and it, I hope News Talk reach out now after this and offers a segment. <laughs> Electric scooters. Electric scooters. I seen a lad in Gory yesterday mm. bombing it down this main street. Yeah. Like, I mean, faster than a motorbike was down the main street. And like, how are they legal? No helmet, nothing on them. Yeah. And like, if you fall off that, you're fucked. Like, you've no helmet. Like, you're going tar- 30 miles an hour, I'd say. And you look ridiculous. Not <laughs> side sidebar there. But do you believe in them? Do I believe in them? Yeah. <laughs> do you believe in I believe the ghosts. <laughs> God. <laughs> electric scooters. I believe in electric scooters. You're a sheep, um, man. You're a sheep. <laughs> Lorcan um, Allen wants you to believe in electric scooters. <laughs> so sorry. Um, do you want them banned? Do you want them what do you uh, want? Uh regulated. All oh, right, yeah, okay. There are plans for that, I think. Um, yeah, all right. So you want yeah. helmets, speed helmets. limits, right? Um, yeah, segregation. <laughs> <laughs> Those who use electric scooters, we put them all on a farm somewhere <laughs> and let them go on the road fucking farm. Like, could you not just walk? <laughs> the, the laziness. <laughs> Those in the segways, like people using yeah. things other than walking to walk. But like, in fairness, like. Um, can't you get bikes now that are basically you know they have a motor in them so mm. you know you get an extra push mm. so i know a fellow who has one he yeah. goes around airflow on it and it, like it's huge and it brings him up to main street no bother enough to pedal and airflow you yeah. know it's like a big main street upwards like that yeah but then is it because that he's using a bike that it doesn't bother us but because this is some scooter and we yeah. associate scooters with children and the new stuff and who are you are you from <laughs> the space age or something <laughs> yeah we you should be allowed to push them off, really. Should be legislation. <laughs> That's a fair concern. <laughs> um, the win-win-win situation I just had, and is it morally viable? This is going right. to be good. Mark. Okay, so I bought supplements from a crowd in England. I'm not going to give the name, so mm-hmm. I can't be held liable. Mm-hmm. But they sent me a package. Or they didn't send it. It took three weeks. I sent them an email saying I never got it. Yeah. They said, sorry, buy our um, system. You got that two weeks ago. And I sent that email completely honestly. I oh, look, I don't have this. And they were like, we will reship it. That's what they said. You're supposed to have it two weeks ago. We will reship it. That day, later that day, I received the package. Mm-hmm. Now it broke up and shy. Oh. It, was, like, it was all, all um, what's called tape and all was ripped off it. But instead of reordering, I just let them send out the package again to get it for free. And then I used that money. It, it cost me, the thing cost me 60 euro. I donated 50 euro to pay a house instead of paying for those extra supplements so i get my next month of supplements for free but i don't know the money i would have spent but most of it to charity instead so am i in the wrong or right here should i have paid for my supplements because the win we mean here is i win i get two lots of supplements mm-hmm. and money goes to charity but the company is losing money and mm-hmm. i probably should have told it which is morally more right? Is it morally more right for me to give money to charity or is it morally more re- right for me to give that money to the people who sent me the supplements in the first place? No, it was two weeks late and damaged right. when I got it. Hmm, interesting. Um, I don't know. Um, Contract law, I'm probably breaking, I'd say. Probably, mm. but... So are they. Yeah. They were late. Yeah. Um, like, I got a box of that. Mm kombucha and i cancelled my subscription mm. and 
I sent them an email, but they haven't responded. So I'm not going to pay them until they respond. <laughs> so I don't know if that's, again, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm happy that you're, you've given money to an Irish charity and I'm not going to report you to the guards anyway, Mark. But um, you sleep well at night anyway. I yeah, very yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I think it is um, morally viable, but then again, I'd be inclined that way. Um, do you still put tape on your mouth at night? This was another TTP I actually told you about. Oh. So I do tape my mouth shut at night. And I tape my mouth shut and I wear a fluffy eye mask. Mm. So yes, I am single. <laughs> and it gets worse because I asked my mother to pick me up the tape to put on my mouth. Yeah. And this is what she got me. Oh, you have it? Oh, yeah. very good. Oh my gosh, it looks worse than really. <laughs> So it's duct tape with pink unicorns on it. And that's what I sleep with at night. I'll try to see if I can rip some off and give it. I would, I've never tried putting duct tape on my mouth. I have, have to you not? That. No. That's what I do every yeah. night. So why, well, sellotape works as well. So <laughs> why? Um... Let's find a sturdier. Sturdier? Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Paper Chews. <laughs> mm-hmm. I tried to talk there with that on, so this is what I look like at night. This, yeah, I keep trying to talk with it on. Then I have a fluffy eye mask <laughs> like that, and the eye mask has like ladies' eyelashes on it here because I got that from my oh. mother as well. So, yeah, if you see me on Tinder, swipe left. <laughs> That's gas. Um, actually, speaking of another. So you're do you notice any benefits or differences or? Uh, yeah, my jawline. Oh. Uh, for some reason I don't know if that's conducive to whatever it could just be different things I'm doing more weightless or whatever but I definitely have stronger facial street features than I did before I started from because I I don't wear it during I just breathe it through my mouth when I said that but it helps me not breathe through my mouth during the day and I think that helps keep my face intact you know keeps yeah. my jaw structured do you notice any difference uh not explicitly but um you do you do more often than not you have a better night's sleep yeah yeah you like you have a deep um you wake up feeling refreshed like you've had a fresh summer so mm-hmm. yeah um i sent you a video of this lad um and he was he was paying he must have been in india somewhere mm-hmm. and he was paying for uh birds to be freed mm-hmm. I, I just found the whole incident a bit mad um mm-hmm. Then your man was going along with it. He was taking the money and freeing a bird. Yeah. So it, like this fella is in his car and the Indian man is, the other Indian man is holding like a bag of birds, bag of doves. And he's, your man in the car is giving him like money one at a time to buy a bird. Every time he buys a bird, your man hands him a bird, he lets it go like that. Mm. And it's crazy. And fuck, I seen something about these dancing bears in India as well. Did you see that? No. Mm. Oh, it's very sad. Um, but yeah, if you look up the dancing bears of India uh, on google or youtube is like these fellas and they, in india and on the side road they have these bear, black bears and they like put a hole through the bear's snout and tie a rope through it and then tie the knot so it goes out their nostril or in and around and they're held like that they like shake the bears the bears are like declawed they, they take their teeth out their claws out make them dance on the side of the road in india and people like give them money on the side of the road making the bear dance and it's really really sad uh, but know. there's documentary i think they're actually they've stopped doing it all together now because what this i think it was one of these who or some animal yeah. company came and gave money they donated a lot of money to the bear handlers to educate them so they could get better jobs and then they 
got the Bears, put them in rehabilitation. The Bears look better now. Most a lot of them, well, obviously a lot of them died previously, but uh, the people don't need to be bear handling bear dancing handlers anymore because people from this organization gave them better lives. Oh, Which is interesting, yeah. yeah. It's a different way to look at it rather than saying, you know, you're bad, you're evil. Like these yeah. are poor people that have no other option mm. than to unfortunately exploit these bears. And now mm. the situation is finished, I think. Yeah. Well, it's really sad. It's really sad to look at the bears and the state they were in. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know, how do you reckon each of us would fare in prison if we were about say it? I'll go first, okay? Right. So if I fared in prison now, I haven't thought about this before, so this is completely off the bat. I think I would do okay, right? It depends how long I was in there. But I'd be fairly good at keeping my head down, I'd say. And I'd be fairly good at befriending the officers, but not so much so that it annoys the other inmates. So that's what that's the kind of where you want to be, isn't it? You want to be middle of the road. Nobody likes you too much, but nobody dislikes you either. You're just like furniture. What do you think the biggest challenge of being in prison is? Oh, the showers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the boredom. Right. I'd say. Like, I'd say no. You'd hear of often, like there'd be courses and all of them. more power to them. Like if it results in prisoners leaving prison and not recommitting. Mm. Or, yeah. Um, I think the biggest challenge would be other inmates. Really? Yeah. The, what do you mean? The, the dynamic. Yeah. yeah. If you were on your own, then you could kind of get by. But mm. if you... Mm. The other inmates. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I mean by how would you fare? Like, how would you would, would you go with the other inmates? How would you fare in prison, do you think? Yeah, well, that's the biggest thing. I'd have to... I'd have to double think everything I say. I think, yeah. You know? Mm. Um, I think you would get a job. A job? A job. <laughs> in prison? Yeah. You oh. would do, like... <laughs> The finances for inmates for like a fee or something oh, right. or protection yeah oh, yeah. yeah you would like find the illiterate people and you'd write letters to their family yeah they in turn wouldn't stab you yeah. or they'd, st- they'd protect you oh, and you'd be like there I, you, you probably haven't seen this but in malcolm in the middle there's a f- episode where hal the father goes to like this gym or like this outdoor gym where all these muscle-bound men are like lifting weights and stuff and they're really stupid and he does stuff like that for them and they become his army and he gets them to like <laughs> like his car breaks down and they carry his car to work for him. <laughs> That's like, you'd be like, Hal. Oh, that'd be great to have that social camaraderie or something. That'd be amazing. Yeah, you'd have your own gang of merry men. Yeah. Doing yeah. your deeds. I think so. <laughs> be some experiment, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would like to get to know a prisoner. I, I would like to... An ex or a current one. Either. Either. Mm. Yeah. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I'd say it's so challenging to to know if someone is going to, you know, avoid recommitting. Someone's right? intentions. Yeah. 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 Do you know Robert Green, the author? He's uh, he- an advisor to Ryan Holiday who writes all this stuff. Oh, right. Okay. He wrote a book that's not allowed in prison oh. called The 48 Laws of Power. Because it teaches power dynamics and it actually works. So they don't allow it in prisons because it was happening a lot and people were getting killed. So they don't allow that book in libraries. Oh, very interesting. Apparently so. Yeah. Mass is a child, Mark. Yeah, what was your experience of Mass? You obviously enjoyed it because you still go. So it's... Yeah, do you know what was funny? Uh, the only thing that was... Um, I think myself and my siblings learned how to read from the Mass League. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 
So do you think that was out of boredom what the priest was saying, or was it sort of you were reading along with it? Um, well, could have been a mixture of both, yeah. I hated math. Really? Hate, hate it. it was so boring. Like It was like aerobics for the dying. You just sort of stand up, sit down, kneel. <laughs> really slow Pilates. <laughs> Ah, I know I didn't. It's because there was a lack of connection. Like I remember actually being a child, and um, but now it was around twelve or thirteen, and uh, there was an announcement to say, you know, if your child is crying, you can leave the church. Mm. And I didn't like that. Now, no, wait, no, was that sort of you can leave, or was it you can leave? I'm trying to make sure both. It was like you're making an awful racket when you just go outside. Yeah, you should leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was sort of. Is it a you have to do it thing? That's why you don't enjoy it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think it's because sometimes it's overcomplicated. I remember actually being at mass there, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, and it was the first communion class, and the message was to them all was just that, you know, love is the most important thing. And, you know, if you strip back all the rules and just try to say things like that, it would... Yeah, and make people lead better lives than what's a Corinthian <laughs> and St. John said to the apostles of the Corinthians go forth to the holly bush and pick me the berries amen <laughs> <laughs> go forth and spread the word of the holly bush <laughs> oh. <laughs> did you ever like uh I don't know. Did you ever? Well, I do look forward to. It. Hopefully, you might get to a wedding in India uh, this December. Uh, one of Ashton's um, workmates is getting married in India, and wow. we're invited. Wow! Uh, yeah, you're going so. hunting for staff. Hello, rogue keyboard. But um, I look forward to seeing how they celebrate the divine within them, and you know whatever. I don't know they do temples or whatever like yeah that yeah. interests me and like is it in delhi uh no i think it's um south western part of um india i forget the name of the area now um so. completely different world they have the second third biggest population do they yeah second or, yeah yeah isn't it weird how we think everyone is white like obviously we don't we know these people are there but like they obviously there's parts of the world where if they people see a white man, they're like, oh my god. Like, yeah. Or like a ginger person. Whereas yeah. we see him all the time here. Yeah. But we just assume that most of the world is white because most of who we see is white. But mm. that's not the case. Another interesting thing to do with that is language. Um mm. I didn't realize that apparently in the the East communication is a lot different because we're we're more verbal here in the West than in the East and We've Chris in the waiting room, so we'll park this thought. Our guest today on the podcast is Chris Proby, who is uh, he's actually a good friend of my brother Michael's, but he has a fairly interesting story. He was on Dermot and Dave recently speaking about it. He's written or he's been in a few articles online if you look him up. But um, first of all, Michael, would you uh, have any questions to start with Chris or where would you like to be? Yeah, um, Chris, thanks a million for joining us. And, um, no worries. Chris, um, can you take us back and tell us about that day when you were just out running and a ball struck your leg? Yeah, it's 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 just one of those really unusual stories where you just 
you, you just couldn't ride it. But uh, I was, I had only just ran the Manchester Marathon a couple of months before. And uh, I was training for my sub three hour marathon, which I had booked for October that year. And uh, I think it was the middle of June, 2015. Uh, I, was, I was training with a uh, sports world running club up in Bushy Park in Dublin. And uh, there was about 20 to 30 of us uh, just on one of the normal training sessions. And uh, the loop we were doing goes around a couple of football pitches. There were a few lads playing football and one of the lads accidentally smashed the ball um, sideways, made a hash of it. And uh, it actually came and hit me in the leg uh, full force. I think he was trying to score a goal or something like that. And it just absolutely smashed off my left leg while we were running around doing our, our training session. I actually didn't think anything of it. Um, thought nothing of it at all, just apart from the fact that it was quite a slap with the ball. Um, I didn't even look over to the guy. And uh, I, I actually wish I had of now. Um, but I never even looked over. I just kept running, thinking to myself, that was quite a slap. And um, thought nothing of it. And two days later, I lined up for the Clonny 10K. Um, I was actually going for my sub 40 10k that night, but as I started to warm up, uh, I noticed I started to limp and my left leg was quite sore and uh, I didn't know why I'd done my stretching. I, I don't really tend to get injuries or anything like that, but um, I just said maybe I'd warm up and start the race and if there was an issue, I would pull out. And uh, I think a kilometre and a half into the race, I was doing really well, but the limb got real bad, so I just pulled out. And kind of that's where the story began, I suppose. It's just, it's an incredible incident. I like to think that 30 people were with you and it just happened to strike your leg. And then um, uh, you went for um, treatment because of the, um, the, the pulling out of that race. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was basically over, over the next four or five weeks, the pain just started getting so bad, so bad, so bad. And I, I was there thinking to myself, I, I couldn't run or anything. I could barely walk, actually, and because uh, I was limping around the place. And I remember cursing that guy in my head thinking, he's caused me muscle damage now, and I'm not going to get to run my sub three hour attempt in Cologne that October. And I was cursing the guy in my head thinking, I just can't believe it, like whatever damage it's done but it got so bad I pushed with the when the when the physio couldn't figure it out and when the doctor couldn't figure it out I pushed for an MRI and basically in the exact spot where that ball smashed off my leg right above my left knee was a really big tumor right um it was actually so big that it had it had eaten through my bone and they put me on a crutch and said, until we figure this out, you're not to put your foot on the ground because it could actually shatter. Your leg could shatter where the tumor was. And it turned out to be cancerous, um, which was just baffling. It was baffling because of no side effects whatsoever, no injuries, no weird pains or feelings, nothing. And, uh, so, and I just ran the Manchester Marathon in April. And this was June, I found out about the you know, the issue with my legs. So it was just so, so baffling and such a shock. I don't smoke, don't drink. So it's not something you expect to be told, like, you know. Yeah, a healthy person. And how um, how old were you back then? Uh, 32. Right. Yeah. And I was the fittest I've ever been in my entire life. I ran the Manchester Marathon 
two months before the ball hit me, I think, uh, in three hours and six minutes. So it was not a bother on me. That's crazy. And uh, so <laughs> when, I, when I was brought into the specialist in St. Vincent's Hospital, he gave me the diagnosis that it was, in fact, cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and um, I just he started talking about what, what they were going to need to do. He, he actually told me it was uh, stage four, which is the highest, like the worst level you can get. It's stage one, stage four. Stage four is the worst. Um, so, and he said, it is treatable, uh, but we're just going to have to treat you really hard. Um, and I just, he started telling me about the, the treatment and stuff. And I just said, all I really want to know is, can you get me back running? Because I suppose that I didn't really want to hear about the treatment. I just said, we're going to need to do whatever we're, we're going to need to do. And that's it. Um, so, and he said he would, um, and he did, um, basically it was, it was very, very intense treatment. And he, he said he was only able to treat me with the level of treatment that he was providing because of my age. And because of my fitness, because he said it was the heaviest stuff he could give to a person. And I had about, I think I was in hospital from about September to February, basically for the treatment and got the all clear early 2016. So I'd had a lot of chemo, a lot of radiation, uh, got the all clear, but I relapsed later at the end of 2016, uh, which was quite a shock. Um, it was only nine months after getting the all clear that I relapsed. So obviously for a person who's gone through stage four cancer to relapse so fast was a, quite a bad sign. Um, yeah, so it was quite shocking to find that out towards the end of 2016. How long did treatment for the relapse take or how long was that? Uh, well, you see, um, one thing I probably didn't mention is, is that the cancer had actually spread. So it was actually in both my legs and it, even up to my sinus and stuff like that. So it kind of, it, it had gone quite bad. Um, but I think I started treatment in December and January, and then I had a bone marrow transplant in March. So yeah, probably about three months of treatment. And um, the, the, the kind of big worry was that in order for you to have a bone marrow transplant, you have to be all clear from cancer first. So they have to treat you with heavy chemo um, full body radiation to get your body clear from cancer to then give you the transplant. It's the best way that the transplant will actually work. And um, so it was obviously a big concern that they had to get me there first to have a transplant. And I think basically the transplant was actually my last chance. So it really, really needed to work. Um, all my my brothers and family got tested to see if they'd be a match and my brother Jonathan uh, was a 100% uh, match they do a test called the chimerism test and it's just to test the the match percentage of, of a person person's bone marrow and he was 100% uh, and I got the all clear in February and had the transplant in March so yeah it was a, it was just mental uh, it was quite quite mental, really, and um, the way it worked out. But I was very lucky that to have someone that was a hundred percent match for me, because obviously that increases your chances of it working. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just like it's it's really unusual because even though I've gone through two battles now and stuff, which is which has been just the most difficult thing ever. It's like 
everything that actually needed to go right for me went right. Like having someone in my family that had a hundred percent match um, to be able to be given the all clear to have the transplant. So it's funny when, when, when things needed to go right, they did. And I'm still here now. So I'm, I'm quite a lucky guy, you know? Well, if you were never hit with that football, do you reckon that would have had, it would have been detrimental? Like the, the specialist did say to me, like, if, if, if that hadn't happened, uh, it might've been too late because the cancer had already spread throughout my body. It had spread to my sinus, which obviously uh, it was my sphenoid sinus right up here, just behind my nose. Mm. And uh, it's very close to your brain. Um, and it, it was already stage four and aggressive by the time they first diagnosed me. So if he hadn't have hit my ball, uh, the specialist said, either one of the days out because I was running five days a week obviously uh, for the marathon training he said one of two things might have happened one of them was my leg would have shattered on a run one day because the tumor had literally eaten through my bone uh, and the second thing is I might not have made it and um, he's like they only just got me in the door I mean from finding out I was put put through like top of the list to get treated because it was that close um so it's just like, yeah, that guy who hit me with the ball. It's just like those guys, I think, used to play every every day that week, like every every day um, each week. And I'm just thinking if I had looked up to see, like, you know, he might have gone, oh, sorry, or something, I would be like, ah, no bother. I totally could have gone back and found out who that guy was. And because he has no idea he saved my life. No idea. Yeah. And where I was cursing him in my head for ages, he's actually the guy who saved my life. And that's just the, it's just a crazy thought really, isn't it? Like, yeah. When you were going through those uh, treatments and like you, you've mentioned like that, that consultant seems like a, a, a really solid, hardworking medical practitioner. I just want to get us, I was just wondering like, what, how, how does a cancer diagnosis changes how your perspective of relationships and the people in your life, be it, life, be it friends, family, um, like you must, it, it must, um, the importance of, of, of having companionship must be um, without doubt, so re um, strengthening. Uh, unreal. And I think they say this about everything, but for anyone who goes through any sort of a, like a difficult period in in uh, in their lives, it shows a lot about the people around you. Uh, it shows who are really there for you and, and what people will actually do for you. Um, like I think, because I was obviously I had to stay in hospital for my treatment because it was my chemo regiment was like twenty four hours a day, five days in a row, um, basically, but. Is the one thing I didn't want to be seen is was just the hospital number. So the first thing I did when I when I was brought into my room was I brought in my running photos from some of the races and I put it up on the Novus board in my room. And I actually hung my uh, running medals, like my marathon medals off the trip so that when nurses or doctors came to see me and chat to me that they'd actually know me as the guy who loves running and not just to be and just another patient or a chart number. But um, so I suppose firstly that that was quite cool because like I'd get into chats with the doctors and nurses and they, they used to be referred to me as the marathon man or the marathon runner and stuff. And I like that, you know? And so it built up a good connect connection with the people who are literally going to be 
uh, just helping to keep you alive and get you going again. So, so that was the first part, but I suppose I'm just so lucky to have the family and friends and partner that I do to help get me through the years because I don't think there was a single day that I was in hospital where I didn't have someone holding my hand or uh, sitting, sitting beside the bed beside me or like I would have been asleep a lot because of the level of treatment. And even if I was asleep, people would come and they'd just sit and read a paper in the room. And sometimes I'd barely see, see people or get to talk to them, but they'd be there. And I actually couldn't have gotten through what I got through without the support of my family, my friends, uh, my girlfriend, Eve, who is now my fiance. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it just, it says a lot about the people around you. Um, like, how people just really take charge and look after you so well even people with stuff going on we all have stuff going on in our own lives every single person in this world has something or some sort of difficulties going on in their own lives so no matter what they were going through they were always there for me and I just can't thank them all enough um it's just amazing what people will do for you when when you really need them so yeah and you and Eve were only together six months and now you know hopefully post-covid you'll be married yeah yeah like i really feel for her because and for us and for our relationship because we were together six months we'd moved in with each other after four or five months i think it was because we were just meant to be the minute i met i met her i was like i knew she was the one you know and six months we, we were given and you know obviously like they say it's the butterfly period at the start you know the first year and stuff where really it's just everything is like magical or whatever but uh like to take that away from us after six months and to have to turn to your partner and go yeah i've got cancer and like you don't know someone that well after six months um you know them to a good degree and people will always have a good sense of you know if they think that this is going to work out and stuff but then to have to tell someone that you you've just been diagnosed with cancer is just yeah so we haven't really had a chance for our relationship to to just go the normal route whatsoever because not only did we have to go through it once we had to go through it twice and mm. um, it's a long recovery as well because of what i went through so um, I feel like it's only really since last year we're starting to get a chance to actually be a proper couple. So, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. And then bloody COVID came. So it's just like, it's just like, come on, guys, give us a chance. Like last year, we had we had plans to just go on lots of city breaks around Europe and do all these cool things. And then sure, we ended up being isolated for the year like everyone else. So it's just been uh, just like, come on, give us a chance, like, will you? So, um. Yeah, we're hopefully going to get married this year, so um, and hopefully get to start enjoying our lives a bit, a bit more. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, you you must love traveling. I mean, the, the fact that you were in Thailand and then came back when um, it came back the second time. Um, yeah, I just can only imagine that the emotions like, oh, I'm I'm over it the first time now. I can just enjoy this break, and then to be landed with that when you come back, anyway. Yeah, well, basically, I got back running that summer and everything, and I was like, like in hospital, there was one machine, um, 
uh, there was like a cycling machine in hospital, a non-weight-bearing cycling machine in hospital. There was only one on the floor and it was in my room the whole time. So between chemo sessions and stuff, when I had a bit of energy, I, I used to keep my legs going by doing a bit of cycling because I was like, I literally just, running was just everything to me. So I wanted to uh, make sure that whatever state I was in, my legs were, were ready to go when I was able. And I got back running and we chose Thailand as a dream holiday for three weeks uh, to put the first cancer diagnosis behind us and to begin our lives together. And a few days after getting home was when I ended up back in hospital. So yeah, it was just such a shock to go from three weeks in Thailand to two weeks later being told your cancer's back and you need a transplant. So uh, it was just horrible. Um, but I remember sitting in my hospital bed and saying, I'm going to do something when I get out of hospital to give back to, uh, to give back to charities, to give back to the Irish Cancer Society, to create something positive um, out of my bad experience. And because I loved running so much, that's when I decided to um, establish the Never Give Up Run, which I've done in my local village in Inch, just outside of Gorey there. Um, and uh, I actually decided, basically the specialist had told me after the transplant that if I make it two years, I'd have a 95% chance of surviving. But that the first 12 months is absolutely critical. And then two years, you should be okay, like in normal circumstances. So um, I set up a 5K, 10K run in aid of the Irish Cancer Society in Inch in the summer to celebrate my two year anniversary. And that's what I did. and. It was just the most amazing day ever. So I'm so happy uh, to have done that. Yeah, that's a recurring thing, Chris, isn't it? You're going to do it annually. It's happened a couple of times. Yeah, so, so I'd only actually planned to do it once just to make a big effort. And um, so I'd only actually planned to do it once. But it just, everyone loved it so much. And it brought such, like the whole point of that for me was to basically bring people together for like a fun positive experience while raising money for charity and uh, we raised 19 and a half grand in the first year um, but I just enjoyed the experience so much and the stories that people would email me uh, or tell me about the people who were taking part why they were taking part who they were taking part for or perhaps in memory of a family member who who passed away due to cancer and stuff and I just realized how important it is um, so I've, I actually I keep it up as an annual event now. Um, for anyone that's watching, all you have to do is just go on Facebook and look at the event page. It's, it's actually, because it's called the Never Give Up event, it's just Never Give Up Chris Proby if they look on Facebook. Uh, so they can come onto the page and just have a look what it's all about. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to ha have it again this year. And it's, this year it's an aid of Arclo Cancer Support and the Irish Cancer Society. And uh, we launched there a couple of weeks ago um, on the anniversary day of, of my transplant, actually. Uh, so I actually, every year I'll show you, every Great year just to, to celebrate, um, I basically, every year I get a, a running jersey and uh, I basically put how many years I'm in the all clear just as a celebration. And then I'll wear this and just got my name on it and I just think every year so now this is this is about to be uh, retired and I'm going to get my four-year uh, singlet done up but 
I just think it's a great way to kind of celebrate it because it's such a special kind of time of year for me, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a really impressive medal as well. And um, it takes place in, it's going to be 11th of July, is that right? Or mid-July? Yeah, between between the 1st and the 11th of July. So obviously with COVID, we're not sure yet if we can hold it on the day. So I've opened up registration now for a virtual entry only. But um, closer to the time, if it looks like we're going to be allowed to hold an outdoor event for up to 200 people, I think it's based on level one restrictions. Um I'm hoping to switch that there is an on-the-day event. Um, but we have loads of people. We've already had 150 people sign up, so it's actually doing really well. And it's only open since about, I think it's the 2nd or 3rd of March. Mm. Um, so it's great because I see some running clubs and some work communities getting together to think about putting out a team to do it and stuff like that. Um, as I said, it's for Arco Cancer Support and the Irish Cancer Society. So... I'm kind of looking forward to it. I really do hope we can have an on-the-day event, but we'll just have to wait to see closer. But just for anyone even, they can just come onto my Facebook page and say hello. Um, it's, as I said, it's just, if they search Never Give Up, Chris Proby, it's on it. Um, I also created a little running group for some people that might want to come on and post their runs and stuff. So it's the Never Give Up uh, Runners Forum. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's the, the event was supposed to be just a one year thing, but I'm keeping it up every year. But every year I, I, I try to promote something, you know, that, that I find really important. And um, I, as you guys mentioned, I was on the Dermot and Dave show there during the week. Um, because I'm trying to this year put a good focus on the um, Irish blood transfusion service. Um, basically, I can't tell you how important it is that people donate blood, how far it goes, um, blood and platelets. Um, to be honest with you, I'd never heard of platelets before I was in hospital, really. Like, I didn't really know what they were used for, but I needed so much blood and platelet donations during my time in hospital um, that I, I just started to really realise how important it is. Um, so I was just on the Today FM just explaining to people um, how far that goes, whether it's for leukemia patients or cancer patients, um, just how important that donating blood or platelets is. Mm. Um, I think it's the giveblood.ie uh, website if people want to have a look. Yeah. Um, but there were times where I actually couldn't begin my treatment until my body was topped up with platelets or my body was topped up with blood and my treatment had to be as fast as possible on a very short uh, turnaround. So there were times where I was slightly delayed um, until someone came into the hospital and donated platelets. Um, so I just realized that year when I, when I needed it myself, how important that stuff is. So um, that's what I'm trying to promote this year, just for people to, to have a look maybe at the website to see if it might be something that they'd think about doing. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, Chris. It's uh, something actually, I think I've given blood twice during COVID and um, it's a lot. It's it's just, it only takes around 20 or 25 minutes and you get a cup of tea afterwards and everyone is so uh, grateful that you're there. You know, they make a thing of it, even though there's hundreds of other people there, you know, so they, yeah. you, know, you, you know, you get it and you get it. I think everyone enjoys getting the text knowing where their blood has gone, you know, um, yeah. whether it's Beaumont or whatever. It's... Um, yeah, it, it's um, it, it connects you with people. 
more. Um, I, I was going to ask you, Chris, earlier, um, why is running such a great love of yours? Because it's, something, it's a constant theme of your life, you know, pre-cancer <laughs> and post-cancer. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I did a year uh, traveling around the world back a good while ago, back in 2007 and 2008. And basically, when I got home, I wanted to get in shape and I got myself a bike. I joined Saudi's Road Club there and did racing with them for a couple of years. And I just really enjoyed cycling, got fit, got in shape. Uh, and my sister loves running and stuff like that. And she turned to me one day and goes, I'm doing the Calair Half Marathon at the end of the year. Do you want to do it with me? And uh, so I said, yeah, why not? Didn't know what a half marathon was, lads. I'll be quite honest. Didn't know the distance. Didn't know much about running. I was never a runner when I was younger. And uh, so it's kind of weird that my first event was a half marathon as opposed to a 5K or a 10K. It was literally my sister asking me to, if, if I wanted to run the half marathon. And I just started training for it throughout the year between cycling as well. And I absolutely loved it. And just from then on, I was like, let's keep this up. Loved it. And there hasn't been a single day since I was diagnosed or in hospital that I didn't think to myself I'm not gonna get back running or it's just like when can I run again and that's it and my recovery has been very bumpy uh and it's still gonna have bumps along the way just because what my body's been through but I'll never lose that love for wanting to go out for a run so um I don't know if I'll ever make my sub three hour attempt but I do have to say it probably would be a dream to run a marathon again just just for fun just to be able to do it again to cross the finish line because um i'd ran three up until i got sick and uh i just love the endurance running uh i just love being outside uh love the fresh air like there was so much time in hospital for example my my transplant took place over a five-week period in hospital in one room in one small room it was not good five weeks isolated uh, because your immune system is non-existent you can't open a window they're actually locked so no fresh air and you're isolated in a room so I know it sounds mad but the day I walked out of the hospital after five weeks I was nearly high on fresh air I just took that big breath of fresh air because when that's taken away from you you have no idea how much you miss it um, but ever since I took up cycling and stuff I've just loved training outside outside is my gym and uh, I think just with running, I just, I just love, I'm more of a solo runner as well. Like I like to run with friends the odd time and stuff as well, but I just love being able to go out for a nice long run. Um, it's just peaceful, just peaceful. And you're out in the fresh air and it's just rain, hail or snow or sunshine. I'll still go out. Like, um, I just kind of love it that much. Yeah. So, but it's, it's obviously been a huge factor of what, what got me through um through the hospital treatments and stuff like that was just like my focus on what run will I first do when I get out of hospital and yeah as kind of that was a big part and having the medals and the pictures and stuff that kept me motivated you know yeah it seems like goal setting has always been a, at the core of your purpose and your recovery yeah yeah it has um and, and it, my recovery started from walking out the house to walking to the first lamppost uh I was on crutches for six months because my leg was so badly damaged until it recovered, um, which thankfully it has now. Um, and it's just, I think uh, my first goal was to walk the time and park run because I live obviously in Dublin now and uh, there's a, 
time in park run right beside me. And I said, I must get involved in the park run because I hadn't at that stage. And uh, yeah, so my first goal was to walk the 5K time and park run. And so time and park run will always be a really special place for me because it's where my recovery began. And once I could walk it, I walked, jogged it, and then eventually ran it. So it's kind of, it's been a great way to help with my recovery, having the time and park run, because it's so, it's so great having it as just a fun thing to do on a Saturday. And people are so supportive and the volunteers are supportive. And I volunteer now down at the park run, obviously uh, pre-COVID when we were allowed. Um, but yeah, I, goals have gotten me through, I suppose. So uh, I'm, I am quite a goal-orientated person. Um, so they've definitely helped to get me through. Um, it's kind of even, I was saying to people on my Facebook event page, it's just that our event is obviously in July, which is the middle of the summer. And I just thought, it's a great time to open the event now for people to set their summer goals because people want, I know a lot of people like to get in shape for the summer and, you know, we might've been picking out over Christmas and over winter and stuff like that, especially with COVID. And I just think it's a good time of year to start setting your goals for the summer. And, you know, the weather's getting brighter, the days are getting longer, it's getting milder. And it's a great time to just set some goals for the year um, and help motivate us, get us out the door. Yeah. It seems like gratitude is a theme of your recovery um, when you think of your family and Wolfpack, uh, as you call them. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be here without them. That's it. I wouldn't have coped without them. They've literally done everything for me. Everyone has that's been involved, like my own family, uh, Neve, Neve's family, which are like my own family now, uh, my Wolfpack, all my friends, all the people on my Facebook page who send me supportive stuff. Um yeah, I just wouldn't be here without those people. Um and, and it's as simple as that. Uh, so I can't really thank those people enough. Um and I really hope they all know that. Uh it's the same as the, the people donating blood and and the platelets and joining the bone marrow transplant register. I just really do hope that those people really understand how far they're uh, their donations are going because it is literally life-saving one of the days that i couldn't start my treatment i was just waiting and they were waiting to get me going and i couldn't because my plate account was too low and they they let me know that a guy has literally just come into the hospital he's at the other side of the hospital and he's given his platelets now they're gonna get them clean them up bring them down to me and i can start my treatment and uh, it's just like i hope that guy was told just how far his donation was going because literally life-saving um so it's kind of incredible to think about it yeah. yeah we don't we don't hear enough about it really i never knew like you know give blood or whatever it's just sort of something you do or like but i never knew the importance of it until i started listening to chris's story and then like you know i've been inspired now to go give blood i'd never given blood before initially it was because i had too many tattoos too soon or something i think and then <laughs> oh, i sort of my... left that as an excuse and i was like oh sure whatever but now yeah. now i am i signed up and i'd encourage anyone listening to sign up as well after listening to this to, yeah. like it how important it is we don't really understand it yeah so i yeah. i i'd be the same as yourself because you know my mom and dad are absolutely amazing my family are at giving blood they always have been my dad's got the little gold badge for giving blood and my mom's almost there and um i obviously would have given blood as well and i kind of know about that but i would never would have thought about platelets and stuff and and now i realize how important it is and also 
like when I gave blood, I never really understood where it went. I just know like it's needed in hospitals and stuff for, for people going through operations and stuff. But when I've seen the other side of it now and I just, that's why I really wanted to use this year and again, use my story to promote it. So uh, just to try to do some more good out of what happened. Um, so it's, it's great to be able to promote it a bit. So thanks. Yeah. As you come out the other side, Chris, uh, from like your uh, recovery, I think like some of the simple wisdom is to enjoy every day and make a count. Um, is that the is that your message? Yeah. Yeah, it literally is. Uh, and I know it sounds mad, but just enjoy being able to go outside in the fresh air. Like we're all having such a tough time because of COVID, and we're all getting tired of it. Like that, no one can deny that. But to be able to still be able to go outside and just enjoy the fresh air with your family and stuff is huge. But yeah, enjoy the small things. Like I, I can't tell you how appreciative. And I think, I think people will have really felt this over the last year as well. But I, I can't tell you how appreciative I've been how much I looked forward to just going for a cup of tea with my friends after I got out of hospital, uh, just going to a, like, just going somewhere for a cup of tea and to be able to chat normally and stuff like that. And it's those little moments that really make life. Um, so yeah, that's probably what, what I've taken. You just never know when something might happen. So you just have to enjoy it while you can um, and just make the most of every day and, and make the most of the small things because they really, really matter to you when they're taken away from you yeah that's great yeah thanks a million chris that was very very humbling and I, I one thing i'd like people to take away from this most is to donate blood and to get involved to run as well chris's run in july yeah i've signed up so um i got the early <laughs> bird the early bird is closed now so there won't be uh, well tomorrow it's closed but tomorrow, it, yeah yeah yeah, yeah like it, what i love is you can walk it you can run it just whatever you feel like doing you can take the dog for a walk it's just really to support it's to support our cancer support to support the Irish Cancer Society and it's just a nice goal for the summer so as I said anyone can just pop on my page never give up Chris Proby or just say hello to me if you want or tell me your story anything just come say hi and and whatnot but um yeah no anytime yeah thanks a million again Chris Chris Cheers. thanks, thanks for that. look after yourself take care bye best bye. of luck